Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. Um, today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, 18 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or frees. And all were made to drink one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head and the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if you're around church long enough, um, and if you just even spend a few years with any church community, you will find yourself saying uh, a phrase that many of us have uttered, many of us have heard this phrase. It's a very simple clause that begins a statement. The church should dot, dot, dot. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you said that this morning. The church should have better coffee. I don't know. I like our coffee. The church should fill in the blank. I've used this myself through the years. I've probably used it while I've been here at Imago. I've heard this as a pastor. The church should, you fill in the blank. It can be something as superficial as the coffee or something like that, but it also could be, you know, some of the more value-driven things that we hold dear. We think the church should be more diverse. The church should be more inclusive. The church should speak out on this issue or that issue. The church should value prayer more. The church should pray more. The church should be making more disciples or the church should do more for the poor. But behind that phrase, like every church should, when I use that, behind it are the expectations that I carry that I've picked up from various places. We all know in this room, the church in America should do more or should be more. But how do we know what it should be or shouldn't be? That's what we're exploring during Lent. Lent is this 40-ish day period where we really go through a process. I like how Esau Macaulay puts it, that it's, it's about repentance and renewal. Repentance and renewal. Repentance is turning away from the destructive things we do and the destructive proclivities of our own humanity, what the Bible calls sin, 
and be renewed by the life-giving spirit and life-giving cross of Jesus Christ, repentance and renewal. And this year for Lent, we're going through this series called Images of Us, Images of Us. And the series is about laying down, repenting of the false images that we carry as the church, like who we think we are that are actually not accurate and picking up and being renewed by the biblical metaphors and images of the church, which are plenty. The biblical metaphors of the church, like the temple and the family, the bride of Christ, there are tons of ways in which the Bible speaks about what we're doing here. And we wanna pick up those biblical metaphors and be renewed by them as we reject all of the false ways we've been thinking through the church. And this week is the body of Christ. We're looking at the body of Christ. What does that metaphor mean? It's one of the more popular ones. The, we talk about church often as our body, this body of people. And with all of these metaphors, I'm asking this question. We all know the church should do more. We all know the church should be more. But the question is this, what are we measuring it against? What are we stacking up our shoulds to? Uh, this, these texts of scripture that we're going to be walking through through Lent should allow us to be renewed by the biblical image. One's more popular ones that you hear. This one and next week, we'll be looking at the family of God, which is also probably the ways I hear the church referred to the most in American Christianity, the family and the body. And our teaching text that was just read so well by John, it, it gives us an insight that you've probably heard before. It's not the only time the church has spoken of the body, actually but it's probably the place where it's most detailed, uh, most, most explored in detail, right? But Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, Colossians 1, Galatians 6, all of these are where Paul employs this metaphor. But here in 1 Corinthians, he digs into it. And the context on this verse in 1 Corinthians cannot be lost. The context is too important. This was a letter that Paul wrote to this church that he had helped plant and start. Him and Apollo, Apollos, they began this church community, they started this church community, and he's writing this letter, and it is, if you have any awareness of this book in your Bible, it remains the harshest words from an apostle to a church community. I mean, understandably so, nearly any commentary you'll pick up will note that the, this community was an absolute mess. It was wild, the Corinthian church with their living. Let me rattle off a few things that Paul deals with before we get to chapter 12. He deals with sexual immorality of the most grotesque and public kind. Everything from infidelity to incest was going on, not just with non-believers, non with believers in the church. Church members were suing each other, filing lawsuits over business grievances and personal property losses. Marriages inside the church were at such a dramatic mess uh, that Paul had to intervene through this letter. There was mistreatment of those who had been experienced divorce or even been widowed. The church leadership had been mistreating them and people within the church had been judging them. Idolatrous practices around food and then fundamentalism that followed up that idolatrous practice. Oh, and by the way, I'm only halfway through the book. That's chapter eight. I haven't even made it to chapter nine. Issues well-worn through this church. Up and up after chapter eight, practice of communion, the way the gifts of the spirit are practiced and administered, all of these get mentioned before we get to chapter 12. And it's a 16 chapter book, one of the longest letters you'll see in your New Testament. We cannot 
chaotic, broken, truly sinful would be a biblical word for it, and destructive this community was to itself. It's almost impossible for me to overstate the ways in which all of this behavior harmed the relationships inside the church and harmed the relationships outside the church. How people viewed Christians in the faith, it's safe to call this community what other commentators have called it. Let me quote you a few of them. A pastoral mess. <laughs> that one was funny. Um, a talk, just to me. Okay. Um, <laughs> you guys are like, what? You don't understand what we do. <laughs> a toxic environment, a broken community. Friends, if the phrase the church should were to ever have been employed correctly, it would have been in Corinth. And now, okay, with that context in mind, listen to how Paul speaks about this church, what he says to them in the teaching text. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, that's a catch-all way of saying people in the story of God and outside the story of God, the Jewish people, and if you're not a Jewish person, that, that, that word would refer to even people beyond just like Greek ethnicity. Slaves or free, like lowest class or highest class or those in bondage or those not, which that in the first century would be a, th- that's, there's historians that say these references Paul has to like, we are, you know, th- there is no longer a Jew or Gentile, slave or free, that quote from Galatians. They say, if that's all Paul ever said, that would be the most landmark teaching in the ancient antiquity in all time. Like that, that, that way the gospel just has reshaped moral imagination in this world is, is like phrases like this. We, we take them for granted because this is like built into our constitution or it's built into the rhetoric of America, even though we don't actually live it here in America. It's built into the rhetoric of America, but you don't realize we're ancestors of the gospel <laughs> that has like birthed onto the scene that before this, no one was saying this kind of stuff. And Paul tells this broken, chaotic, destructive, terrible church that we were all made to drink of one spirit. And now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If there ever was a community that might be in jeopardy of, quote, being a legit church, it'd be Corinth. But Paul tells them, you, Corinth, are the body of Christ. Speaking into the sin and the, divis- the divisive nature of the church, the, the tough circumstances, the straight-up evil that was going on in the church, he tells them, you are the body of Jesus Christ. Notice, and by the way, he says individually members of it. He says all baptized into it. So he's not like, there's some of you in the church that are actually the body of Christ, and there's others of you, you are not. <laughs> He says, we are baptized. We are the body. That's ontologically who we are. That is spiritually, in the spiritual sense, who we are. Notice, Paul does not once implore the Corinthians to, quote, join the body, as many pastors like myself will will say. He does not ask them to be part of something or to commit to something. This is because for Paul, the church is not something you join, but a community you become supernaturally incorporated into through Jesus Christ. You do not join the body. You are the body through Christ. You do not offer yourself into the church. Christ offered himself so that you might be brought in. The body of Christ 
is the reality Jesus brings us into through two means in the context of this verse. The confession of him as Lord and your baptism or filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you Paul's context here. Before the teaching text, in the very beginning of chapter 12, if you're sitting in verse 12 where we began our teaching text, skip back to verse 3, 2 and 3, and you'll see uh, Paul says this, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Then in the middle of the text and at the end of the teaching text, look what he says. You know, we're in one spirit. I just quoted that all baptized into the body. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. Notice the language Paul is using, that the spirit of God is operating in two ways to bring you to say the, ter- the, way, the, thing, the, the, the phrase, Jesus is Lord. He says, no one becomes a Christian without the help of the Holy Spirit saying that phrase. You don't come to that through your own uh, reasoning, your own intellect. You don't ascend to that kind of thing through your own spiritual righteousness. Actually, the only way you and I are ever a Christian is because the Holy Spirit of God moved in us to say the phrase, Jesus is Lord. Something I love about Christian conversion, by the way. Nearly everybody who has experienced uh, conversion in this room has become a, who has become a Christian, all of us, we can tell you uh, when we became a Christian. We can be- tell you where we became a Christian. We can tell you how we became a Christian. But a lot of us struggle to tell, us why, to tell you why. <laughs> why did you decide to become a Christian? Why are you saying Christ is Lord? I mean, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I look back and I go, the only reason I can think of is because the spirit of God worked in my life to make me say it. You know, I think there's a false way pride can creep in where we go, "Mm, well, I looked at all of the religious options of the day and I, you know, assessed all of the documents of Buddhism, Hinduism. And at the end of the day, you can do all the intellectual work you want. The spirit of God works in you to say Christ is Lord and then gives you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now it's a, if you're um, triggered by charismatic language, I'm sorry, but this is a very true biblical uh, you know, it's a text here and a true biblical teaching that actually when we say Jesus is the Lord, the spirit works in us and the Holy Spirit of God fills our life. And through the confession of him as Lord brought about by the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit in our life to where God dwells in us, in our bodies and in our minds and in our hearts. And, the, and God is not just up there and out there, but is actually dwelling within us. That work of the Holy Spirit is what brings us in into the work of the church. This is all God's doing. Jesus is making for himself a body. If you today confess Jesus as Lord, remember two things. The Spirit of God brought you about to do that, and the Spirit of God has baptized you to bring you into the church. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. And a historic Protestant kind of articulation of this that I have always found interesting and helpful is that when you're brought into the church, you might say this, well, Chris, I don't really connect with the church. Like I'm at a Mago and I'm barely staying awake for your sermons. I love that. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is not talking about attending local worship services. He's also not even really talking right now about joining a local church the way that we're inviting you to through covenant community. He's talking about this thing that I've heard through historic Protestantism that's helped me, which is this. 
the visible and the invisible church. He's talking about the invisible church. And this is what I mean. God brings us all into his body in kind of this invisible sense where we don't really know that we're a part of the church quite yet. But because we said Jesus is Lord and we just start kind of attending church, we're in this invisible state of being the part of the body of Jesus. But it's up to us to grow towards the visible representation of the church, which is like Imago Dei. Imago Dei is a visible representation of an invisible reality that all of us have been incorporated into the body of Christ. And one of the great tensions with the visible, invisible church is to always recognize the invisible inside the visible. That's hard. Because the visible church is, that's who you fight with, right? <laughs> the visible church is like the leaders you disagree with, the things about the church you don't like, the people in your small group that talk too much, the people in your small group that don't talk enough, you know, all that stuff. That's maybe what drives you crazy, the visible church. But in contemplating this invisible church that God is incorporating a body into himself, Paul is warning the Corinthian church of, he's warning them of this, beware of saying that you're not a part of something you actually are a part of. So long as you say Christ is Lord, you're a part of the invisible body. So it's time to reckon with the visible one. It's time to reckon with the real people that are in your midst, how broken and chaotic it might be in, in Corinthians. It's a gift. Isn't it a gift that this metaphor is given to us in this book? This is what Paul says. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. He's talking about the body imagery, like the, the, the hand and the eye need one another. But God has so composed the body I love this part, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You know, in the West, and particularly in America, the church is something we opt in and opt out of. Like we say, I love the church, I love my church, or I'm done with the church, I can't be around the church, I don't get the church. These phrases, that, like, that has to deal with the visible church. What's missing in the conversation of being done with the church or loving the church is the invisible church. It's impossible to remove yourself from Christ's body so long as you say Christ is Lord. Paul says, just make the invisible visible. Understand you need each other. You have no right to say you do not need one another. And so this question arises, right? If it's impossible for me to like divorce myself from the church in an invisible sense, why commit in a visible sense? I'd rather just hang out in the theoretical and not really be involved in the real. And I'm with you. It is way easier, you know, to just kind of spend your time thinking about the theory of the church than the actual church. Through my academic work and academic life, it's been a temptation to be honest. You know, I have this, these, this season where I was discerning if I should really commit to Imago. And through that time, you kind of have this moment where you're like, you know, I could continue my doctoral studies at Duke and just think about the church for a long time. You know? Sounds nice. Sounds nice. But I think Jesus is telling me I would miss something of who he is in a visible sense if I were not to commit to the local church, and many people in academic theology, you would be surprised, don't go to church. Many people in academic theology, they don't go to church because it's easier to make it a theory in an invisible sense than to make it visible. And this, again, it's precisely Paul's plea. When we realize 
we actually belong to each other. Let me say that again. When we realize we actually belong to each other, not because of something you did or your neighbor did, but because of something Christ is bringing together. When we realize we belong to each other, then it is time we begin living in response to that reality. Your life in Jesus, when you say Jesus is Lord, it is inextricably linked to your neighbor saying the same thing. When we say we love Jesus and we follow Jesus, it is linked to other brothers and sisters who say the same thing. We are bound together in Christ. We must work together under the Lordship of Jesus. Why? Because the church is really worth it because we are really a part of that body, whether we like it or not. So long as we say Christ is Lord, it's time to make the invisible visible. Well, why? Here's the three thoughts from the teaching text. Just that, why should we make the invisible visible? Why should we make the theoretical church the real church? Because Paul tells us the church is God-arranged, weight-bearing, and action-oriented. First, the local church is God-arranged. God brings this together. Notice in the teaching text, if the whole body were an eye, then where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, look at this, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as who chose? He, yeah. One more time, as who chose? <laughs> I know, you're not used to that with me, right? I, used to, I just talk sometimes, but sometimes I'm like, are you with me? As he chose. Hmm. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. God calls all kinds of people. Local churches struggle with the ability to reconcile that through the gospel of Jesus, con converts of all kinds of sociopolitical opinions, ethnic backgrounds, economic situations, relational abilities, even mental and physical abilities, it's, a, it's often a struggle to incorporate all of us together. And the struggle of the church in America is even more uh, this way because we are such a melting pot of experiences here, right? realizing that actually we belong to each other. We love the church, oftentimes, this is our, our proclivity, is that we love the church so long as we can arrange it, you know? Not God. When God arranges, arranges the church, it's very messy because it's people from all different backgrounds and places. When we arrange our churches and we select who can come in and come out, that's how we would prefer it. We love the church so long as we can have the diversity we prefer. Do you love the church that God has given you? Or do you love the church that you are architecting in your mind? I don't have this quote on the screen, but this morning I was reminded of the great Bonhoeffer quote from Life Together, that he who loves the dream of a community more than the Christian community itself, Bonhoeffer says, becomes a destroyer of the Christian community. If you love the dream of a Christian community more than the community itself, you'll end up destroying the very Christian community you've been given. Paul says God arranges the members of the body and he gives them to you. Oftentimes it's important for us to reflect on this question, not uh, moving away from the question, what is the church I desire to what is the church God has brought to me? What is the church God has brought to me? And how might I find the incorporation into the body of Jesus there? God arranged the members of the body. If God has arranged his body in this way, it probably means that the more we commit to the visible church, the more we'll actually see Jesus. 
Let's think about that metaphor a little bit more, the body of Christ. Think about how important it was through the pandemic, once we got out and into person, how important it was to be with each other's bodies. It changed us, right? Now, the pandemic, it was necessary for that time to stay at home, to be online, but there was something all of us probably lost a little bit, right? I don't know if you, like me, like, I met a few people during the pandemic on Zoom. Did you do this? You meet them on Zoom, and you just see their head. You just see their face, and it's 2D, and their voice is brought through computer software into your headphones. And then you, like, saw them at church, and you're like, you are huge. Like, you're tall, you know? Like, you, you didn't know their fullness of who they were. You didn't even know their presence, how they affected a room that they walked into. You know, some people are huggers. Found that out after the pandemic, you know? For two years, I didn't hug anybody, you know? Then suddenly, I'm hugging everyone. I'm like, oh, this person really likes to hug, you know? Um, you just know more about somebody through the embodied space that we take up, right? So long as we make the church theoretical and invisible and we stay in the invisible church, we kind of like experience Jesus through like the Zoom era. Like we just see the, the 2D image of Jesus's head. We don't see the rest of his body and we don't experience what he's like in reality because we're actually divorcing ourselves from that reality. So long as we stay in that space, we're not understanding who Jesus really is. You want to know about who, Je- who Jesus is, there's a lot of places to look. Look at the Gospels, pray, take communion. There's many places to encounter God. Never forget that getting to know one another here at Imago is one primary way you will know about who Jesus is. So you come to church, you say, I want to know Jesus. Look at your neighbor. Look at the people who God has put together. See his body. Get out from the Zoom room and into the real thing, into who Jesus Christ really is. You know, coming to Imago myself, I have to say, I love the body that God has so arranged here. And I see Jesus better for having committed and saying yes to Imago saying yes to you. I actually see Jesus in just my few short months here. I know Jesus a little bit better because I know you. Because I know the ways you're serving your community. I know the way you're parenting. I know the way you are walking through singleness. I know the way that you are walking through your career and the way that you're leveraging what you have for God. I know your generous heart. And I understand, like, you know, I... I, entering in as the lead pastor, have a privileged place where I can kind of sit and see some of those things. And I understand some of you might be asking the question, like, do I belong at Imago? Like, you look around and you say, I don't know, I don't know what you might be thinking, you know? This place seems pretty white. You might be like, do I belong here? You might think, I don't know what you think about us. Either these people really have their stuff together. I don't know if you think that about us. (laughs) Or you think these people do not have their stuff together. And you might be like, do I belong here? You know, you might think like, I don't look like these people. I, I don't know if these, if I'll find my people here. But I want to encourage you if, you, if you claim Jesus as Lord, know this just from the heart of a pastor here. If you claim Christ as Lord, you are the body. God has arranged you to be here. No pastor is going to tell you you're a part of the body or not part of the body. Welcome to Imago. You're in the body. Some of you have no house 
You, you live on the streets. You are the body of Jesus Christ. Some of you have serious physical or mental disabilities. And you are the body of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been told terrible things through your life by people in authority, whether it be in your family or in a church, and you're hurting. You are the body of Christ. Some of you have serious trauma that you deal with like every day. It affects the way you live. You are the body. Some of you are battling addiction in a way that's like visceral every single day. It affects your mood and your temper and everything. You are the body of Christ. Some of you have been divorced, are going through a divorce, are struggling in your marriage. You've been betrayed or hurt by a friend. You've been broke, you're in debt, you are the body of Christ. If you say, Jesus is Lord, I'm doing what Jesus says, I follow him, I'm repenting of my sin and being brought to him, that means he's the head of your life, and guess what? You are a part of his very body. And also, our church community at Imago has always made space for those who can't even say Christ is Lord. Which leads me to the second beautiful reality of the church, that the church is not just God-arranged. It's weight-bearing. The church is weight-bearing in the same way a body is. Maybe you find yourself saying, I can't even say Christ is Lord. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I've been going through deconstruction for two years, and I don't even know where I stand with the Lord. This is a beautiful part of the body of Jesus Christ. Just like your body, the body of Christ is weight-bearing. Right now I'm standing, and so my weight is being bored by mostly my core legs and uh, feet. If I sit, my body will shift in how it bears weight. If I lie down, it'll spread out how, the, how, the, how, the, how it's weighted, right? I've noticed in churches, the best the church can ever be is when it learns to bear the weight of those that need the weight to be bore. The burdens. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The I cannot say this hand, I, uh, I have no need of you. We looked at that. 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker. Think about that. Look at that. They're indispensable. Just hang on that for a little bit. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Some of you are, you don't know if you believe in God, but you still come to Imago every week. And it, it as, a, as like, church leadership or like church life, you might think that we think of you as weaker. I think of you as indispensable. I think you're important. I think you belong here. I think we need you in order to be the community we need to be. Some of you are suffering at a level and you go, I don't have much to give. Chris, I'm broke. I don't have any money to give. We need you. We need you because we need a church that bears the weight and distributes the weight across the body. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we're all going to rejoice together. One of the shocking realities of belonging to a church is finding out that the church can carry the burdens for you. Galatians 6, 2, Paul says, bear it to the church in Galatia. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The local church, the body of Christ, it actually upholds other parts of the body in the same way our physical body does. In the same way that your legs wait, uh, keep your hands in the air, in the same way that when you lie down, your weight is distributed, so it is with the body of Christ, that your weight becomes distributed, the weight of the burdens of the people of God become distributed across the whole body. 
Maybe you have spiritual burdens you're dealing with. Maybe you have relational burdens you're dealing with or just life's burdens. I don't know what your burdens are. The spiritual burdens of like doubt, like I've mentioned, or maybe just like distance, like you don't feel like God is near. You you say, I haven't sensed God's presence in a long time. Depression and darkness, like the, the darkness of your depression is just clouding your access to God's joy. Maybe you have relational burdens like disloyalty in your life and betrayal. Like I mentioned, divorce or a key relationship, like a friendship breaking apart, someone betraying you. Or just dysfunction, like the people in your immediate circle are destroying your well-being. Or just life's burdens that many of us carry here of disease. Some of you have received diagnosis and difficulties around your health. Death, either you've lost someone or you are, are dying, you're facing death yourself. Or life's burdens of, like I've mentioned, debt, like you just don't have money and you're in debt. I mean, there are many times in my life where I have actually, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, and yes to these three categories. I have found myself in spiritual darkness, relational betrayal, and just the burden of life. Times in my life where I have not been able to contribute anything and found the weight-bearing beauty of the body of Jesus. I remember facing betrayal from a friend years ago. He was like a brother to me. And it was happening while one of my close family members was dying of cancer, all when I found out I owed a ton of money to my college because my dad said he was gonna pay for it and never did, and the debt went back on me. I was broke, I was betrayed, I was battling with diseases in our family, suddenly all of these things were circling at once and I experienced the weight-bearing beauty of the, of the body that the body can actually hold when I can't contribute. That the body can actually absorb uh, when I'm spilling out, you know? Another time in ministry when I was a youth pastor where I saw more death of young people than any youth pastor should see and did funerals. Youth pastors should not do funerals. And I, I, these times where I, I remember coming home one Christmas, my mom looked at me, she says, you look like a ghost. And for me, that's saying something because I am generally pale. <laughs> I was empty, like there wasn't any life in me. What happened through that, those times? People took it for me, people, people bore the weight. If you feel like you can't make it another day with Jesus, let his body bear it. In each of these times, I think about this word a pastor friend of mine once shared a woman who was go- uh, once shared with a woman who was going through a miscarriage. She had gone through a miscarriage, and she said to him, "I don't know if I have the faith to make it through this." Many of us have been in that situation. I- I've been there. You- you're looking down the barrel of your life. You go, "I don't know if I have the faith to make it." The next season, I don't know if I have the faith to make it. Do you know what he said? He said, you don't have to have the faith. Let us believe for you for a little bit. Let us have faith for you. What a liberating response. Many times pastors say, well, have you prayed more? You know, have you read your Bible? Um, you know, trying to diagnose different spiritual options for them to participate in a program that they have developed to try to help them. The reality is beautiful with the weight-bearing good news of Jesus. You don't have to have faith sometimes. 
will have faith for you. The church historic, the church global, the church visible, the church invisible can carry what you cannot. We will have faith for you. Some, some of the folks that pray right here on the prayer doors, that, that's what they do. When you say, I can't pray, they're at these prayer doors saying, we'll do it for you. That's okay. You don't have to. There's going to be a season in your life maybe where you do not have the words to pray. That's okay. The church will pray for you. You might have time where you're like, I don't know what to read in scripture. That's okay. We do a scripture reading every week. You can hear the word of God every week. We'll do it for you. We'll read scripture for you on your behalf. I can't worship. I can't sing. That's okay. We'll all sing for you. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. It's okay. You can't take communion. We'll take communion with you. We'll, we'll bring you up to the table and say, no, no, no. We'll, we'll come with you. That's the beauty of the weight-bearing body of Jesus. It's okay. We'll believe for you. We'll pray for you. We'll walk for you. We'll serve on your behalf. Rest in Jesus and rest in his body. Bring your weight back on his body and let it rest. It's imperative you stay because if you, if you, if you leave the church, I, I just can't promise other places will bear the weight but I'm confident we will bear the weight for you. The local church is worth saying yes to because it is God-arranged, it's weight-bearing, and finally, just briefly, it is action-oriented. After our teaching text, it says, the body of Christ, you are individually members of it, and God appointed these offices of gift. And here's the deal. Some of you need the weight-bearing body of Jesus And you need to hear that today. But others of you have something to give. And you need to hear that the body is action-oriented because you do have the faith to give, the resources to give, the faith to, to continue on. And Paul goes on after this to say, not everyone's gonna do the same thing in the church. Not everyone's gonna be a leader. Not everyone's gonna be an administrator. Not everybody can teach, but everybody has the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and has something to offer the church and therefore has something to offer the world. And such is the case here at Imago. God has sent many of you into the action-oriented body of Jesus as you've stepped into the foster care system to care for kids, as you've stepped into leading a small group whether it be a learning group or leading a refuge group where we're healing together in community. Some of you have been sent into hospitality spaces to welcome people into the church, to care for our kids, to care for our our buddies, which is our kids that just need a little bit of extra support and help. Some of you serve in our buddies program. Some of you are out in your workplaces administering the word of God and speaking the word of God in your workplaces. And some of you have just been sent into these, the streets of our city to care for those that don't have homes or to care for people without many resources. God is sending people and using the action-oriented body. It's just like a body that bears weight. A body is also able to move and, 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 and be arranged in such a way. Why is the church worth it? Because whether we need the God-arranged nature of the church, the weight-bearing uh, nature of the church, or the action-oriented nature of the church, whenever we encounter the church and we make the, the church visible, what has been invisible, we end up just with this final revelation, which is that we just see Jesus. We see Jesus in a way clearer way. You are the body of Christ. And I wonder, as you look at these, 
I want to ask you two questions. What do you need from the church? Maybe you just need the realization that you've been brought here. You know, I think sometimes we, again, we filled with pride or just a little bit of like self-assurance. We think we've done more than we, we have, you know. I chose Imago or I started coming to Imago and I began, I mean, you know, I think the older we get and the more we look back on our life, we'll probably realize that God brought us here more than we did. What do you need from the church right now? Maybe you need us to bear some weight. We need prayer today. You need to talk to one of us pastors. You need to join a group of healing or a group of learning. But secondly, not just what do you need from the church, what can you give the church? What is yours to give? Many of you have gifts and resources and abilities. It's time to look at this and say the local church is really possible to be the greatest gift to our city. Because our city in Portland needs the reality of God in their life. Our city needs uh there's too many needs in our city. We need communities like Amago that can bear the weight of the city. And it needs those of us that can be oriented towards action. Some of you need the church to hold you up for a while, maybe for years. That's great. Receive the grace of the church. And others need to be stepping into spaces of action, of service, of financial giving, of passion and time to be spent thinking about ministry Where can I guarantee you'll see Jesus? I can guarantee you'll see Jesus here in the church. It might not look like the way that you want it to, but I can guarantee the longer you stay in the visible church, you'll see the visible body of Jesus. But the second place I can guarantee you'll see Jesus is right here at the communion table. Because what's so cool is the followers of Jesus called the church the body. And when Jesus left the earth, he showed them, his body, through this practice. And so the body of Christ has always partaken in the body of Jesus in order to remind ourselves what we are incorporated into, a self-sacrificial, life-giving Jesus. He is our head. He's the one we follow. And as much as we can get derailed and distracted and filled with false images of the church, we come to the communion table to remember the image, capital I, that became man, to bring us back to God. And so I can guarantee you can see Jesus in the broken body and shed blood of our Lord right here at the communion table. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and then a time of confession as we come to the table, as we've been doing through Lent, to confess our own sin and to receive the assurance of forgiveness so that we know God is who God said he is. And then we'll worship together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, We ask you, Lord, in your kindness to bring us to yourself. Lord, I pray for my friends who need you but have trouble accessing you. I'm I'm praying specifically for those that need the church to bear the weight of some stuff they're going through. I know that can bring up a lot. I'm sensitive to that. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that your kindness and comfort and peace would be upon them. And I pray, God, even as we partake in communion and receive prayer and worship, there would actually be supernatural healing that occurs here 
uh, in the spaces of our life that seem unbearable. I pray that you would reveal yourself as the one who can bear it. Um, your scriptures say actually that we can cast all of our cares upon you. Our anxieties can be cast upon you because you care for us. And so may we receive your care today. In Jesus' name, amen. And would you um, stand with me as we conclude in worship and join me in this confession? I'm gonna read the part in italics. And if you agree with these confessions, say what is written in bold. This is a litany of confession. Lord, we have not thought your thoughts, nor have we consistently desired your will for your people. We confess our sin to you, God. Christ, have mercy. Forgive us for the ways we have rejected your body, for the ways our individualism has distanced us from your church. Christ, have mercy. Forgive us for the false images of your church that we have adopted and even profited off of. We confess that we have sought financial, material, social, and political benefits that only satisfy our flesh and do not renew our hearts. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. The God of all grace, here's the assurance of forgiveness, which is just as you are confessing your sins, I want you to be equally sure, not of your own fault, but also of the grace of God over your life immediately upon confession. So here's the assurance. The God of all grace, the Father of mercy and kindness has died for your sins and for all. While we are sinners, Jesus Christ's death satisfies, atones, and forgives us of our sin. Because of this cross, you, Imago Dei, are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. May you receive the body and blood of our Lord as a mysterious interaction with your salvation as you call upon the name of the Lord and all together. Father in heaven, grant us the grace of your forgiveness now through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, amen. The communion tables are open and the prayer doors are available to you.